Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday via podcastone.com and iTunes. Appreciate you tuning in, downloading and streaming, and another great interview for you this week with former Judas Priest guitarist K.K. Downing. Even though it's been seven, eight years, that still sounds kind of weird to say. K.K. is a founding member of the band. He has written a book. We'll get into all of that in a second. And you'll hear from KK shortly. As usual, the interviews you hear each week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originate on my daily radio show on Sirius XM Channel 106 volume. It is live every day, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. And it re-airs every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and is also available anytime you want to listen to on demand on the Sirius XM app. Here on this podcast, you get a tiny, tiny little sampling of of what I do every day, five days a week there on volume and a little sampling of some of the interviews that air. Hope you come on board and join me on Sirius XM on The Daily Show where you can call in and talk to these artists and be more engaged. And I appreciate everybody that listens here on the podcast as well and gets a little sampling of what I'm doing over there, including a lot of these very, very great interviews. The schedule coming up, pretty crazy as usual. It includes this coming weekend, I'm in Tulsa on Friday night hosting Sebastian Bach. Also on Saturday, I'm in Huntington Beach, California, where I will be at Sammy Hagar's High Tide Beach Party. Greatly looking forward to that as well. I will be introing Sammy at that show and hosting the official post-show party, which is at BLK in Huntington Beach. That should be a lot of fun. Hope to see you guys there if you are attending Sammy's big event on Saturday. Then next weekend, back to Tulsa again, where I host Tom Kiefer at the IDL on Friday. And other stuff coming up includes the Dio bowling event 
Studio City and Pins on October 25th, or I should say Pins in Studio City, California, October 25th. Go to DOCancerFund.org for more information about that. A lot of other shows going on, a lot of other great stuff going on, and hope you guys join me. Check out my website, which is eddytrunk.com. All of my appearances are on the homepage. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Eddie Trunk for info and updates as well. Twitter, where I would be most active. There's so much going on, and that is the best way to keep up on the social media, especially on Twitter. Probably a bunch of things I didn't even get a chance to tell you about, but I try to take it week to week and try to tell you what's going on week to week as well. So that's what's happening in the immediate future. The podcast interview you're about to hear again happened a couple weeks ago on my radio show, Trunk Nation, on Sirius XM 106 volume, and uh, it is with K.K. Downing. Now, there's been a lot made because K.K. Downing is a founding member of Judas Priest, and as everyone knows, he left the band about eight years ago, was replaced by Richie Faulkner in the band. And KK has done a few things since he's left Judas Priest. He had a golf course. Uh, He launched a line of cologne at one point, which we touch on in the interview. But he seemingly seems a bit jilted that Judas Priest did not reach out to him about rejoining the band when it was announced that Glenn Tipton would not be able to tour due to his battle with Parkinson's. Now, I, for one, am somebody that also kind of thought that that might be something that would happen. But clearly there is a bit of a disconnect, some friction, some tension between the priest camp and K.K. Downing. I'm sure not much of it not made any better by the fact that he's written this book, which, honestly, the book does not really kill anybody in Judas Priest, what it touches on is that, and and the revealing stuff in KK's book to me, is that he and Glenn Tipton were never close. He felt Glenn wrestled control away from him with his band. You know, KK and Ian Hill founded Judas Priest. He felt over the years, partially to his own fault, because he let go of the reins a little bit, that uh, Glenn wrestled control of the band away, and Glenn and the band's manager, were the ones that really sort of took control and ran the show, and and KK was kind of left on the sidelines on a lot of decisions and guitar playing and what have you. There's a lot of fascinating stuff in the book, but really, I mean, there's no real bad stuff slung around, which some of the press would would lead you to believe that there was. There's fascinating things in the book about the tension between Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, which I always knew existed but could never put my finger on why, And that is also something we touch upon in this interview. And, you know, my whole thought about KK coming back to Priest was that Priest is one of the ultimate two guitar bands, right? So the idea I I thought was like, well, now you've got neither of the guitar players that created and played all of that classic music, maybe because of Glenn's illness, it's an opportunity for them to at least have some representation of one of the two original players. If KK were to come back and just do the tour and just kind of help uh, present somebody from the classic lineup up there as far as one of the two players, clearly that was never in Priest's thoughts. They clearly have, like I said, some tension with KK Downing, and I'm sure that has been fueled by the book coming out and some of the things that has been thrown back and forth in the press. Interestingly enough, 
K.K. Downing, the first member or former member of Judas Priest to write a book, and now Rob Halford recently coming out and saying he is also now going to write a book. So we might start seeing a bunch of these start to come out as everybody uh, gets a little older and realizes, hey, I'm going to tell my version of the story, and we'll find out if and when Rob's book comes out and hear what he has to say about stuff. But I, I think there's been a lot uh, made in... in um, the press and and if you if you don't re- actually read the book that this is some sort of real scathing expose there was nothing in kk's book that really shocked me in any way the the stuff that i found more interesting again was the stuff between the band and maiden some things about them working with pop songwriters at one point uh, kk stands firmly behind the nostradamus record which is interesting which is a very polarizing record for priest so i enjoyed it the book is called heavy duty days and nights with judas priest it is out and available now and in a matter of minutes you will hear from Judas Priest's co-founding member, K.K. Downing, with his thoughts about the book, his thoughts about the band now, and a whole lot more. Get ready for that. It is coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP, and you might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It is enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, and your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So whenever you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. This week, it's all about survival, and Rob's sister Nino is here to help. Check out Rob Has a Podcast as he kicks off a new season of Survivor. And I guess you can go from a, you were almost a David, but you're back to a dud. But you cannot go from a Goliath to a David. Impossible! You don't want to miss this. Check out Rob Has a Podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk back with you, and let's get to it right now. K.K. Downing uh, calling me from England to discuss his new autobiography, Heavy Duty, which is out now. Here it is, again, originating from my SiriusXM show on Volume 106, which you can hear every day live, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, K.K. Downing of Judas Priest. How are you, my friend? Hi, Eddie. Great, great to speak to you again, and uh, and obviously for the opportunity um, to get to um, say hello to, to everyone out, out there listening to the show this evening. I think the last time that we spoke, KK, you were on that metal show. We had you on via Skype, and you were selling your own brand of uh, of uh, cologne. Were you not? Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago, Matt, wasn't it? That's been a, a few years, hasn't it? Probably five, um, six years or so. I yeah. remember you saying metalheads need to smell good too. <laughs> yeah, that, 
that, that's true. That's, that's what all the girls tell me when I'm traveling around the world. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. How did that do for you? Uh, very good, very good. You know, um, I think it, it's, uh, it's true to say that a lot of uh, the European companies are big on colognes and stuff like that, you know, um, real good. Uh, by the way, yes, you did get Mark Eglinton. That's exactly how to say it. Uh, the gentleman that really uh, helped me a lot to get through uh, and get on with this book and to get it out and to, uh, for everyone to uh, check out. Well, it's a great book, and I want to really get into it with you because I, I read it all a little while ago. I took some notes throughout the, the, the reading of it because I knew eventually I'd talk to you about it. I wanted to make sure that I, I wrote some notes down. But obviously, KK, the book is out now. And there's been a, a lot. You've you've done interviews, and of course, some of some things have made some headlines on stuff you've you've said in some of these interviews. How do you? Before we get into specifics, and I start talking to you about the book, what are your thoughts about now that it's been out for a little bit? The reaction you've you've uh, gotten, the the things you've read about uh, about the book. I mean, what what are your takeaways from the early days of the release of this? I think it's absolutely um, fantastic for me, really, Eddie. So obviously, I went into this not really knowing what to expect. You know, just something that I felt um, was good for me to do at this particular time. But the um, the, the feedback and the success has been absolutely tremendous on a global scale. Um, so obviously, I'm speaking to people in New Zealand, Bulgaria, Portugal. Just about everywhere, really. So um, it's great to actually to be um, in contact with everyone again. You know, um, seems a bit weird to release something like a book, not an LP. You know, a record. But uh, but there you go. There are similarities. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, the one thing, uh, KK, that I've picked up on some people saying, and and anytime anybody writes a book and they're honest and forthcoming about what they think, inevitably inevitably you're going to hear this from people, but they're going to say, oh, you know, he's just venting some sour grapes because he's not in the band anymore. What is your what is your response to that? Yeah, no, it, it's certainly not what. Uh, why I decided to actually do this after all this time, Eddie, was um, I think there's a few reasons in there, really. I mean, I, I was kind of more interested in telling my own personal story, you know, in particular myself as a as a young as a as a youngster and as a teenager and as a young man, you know, because as I say, you know, as I tell the story in the book. You know, I got off to a rough start, and it was it was proper rough. Um, but I know that I'm not the only one. There's lots of people out there, you know. And and I felt that you know maybe lots of people would be able to relate to me, as I'm sure I could to them. You know, if we told each other what we kind of went through. Um, but it's kind of intriguing to me how how on earth. Eddie, did I make it the transition from where I was as a youngster onto making it onto the world's biggest stages? I don't know because, you know, it was um, it was against all odds is what it was, you know, is what I think. I mean, you remember that court case in Reno where those two young fans, music fans, unfortunately what happened to them. I mean, they had it really tough with their 
with their upbringing, you know, with their parents in the parental home and stuff like that. And um, and so I could really relate to that because I felt at one with them, you know. But nobody really knew my own story, but obviously I tell tell about it in the book. Um, but the thing is, I wanted to try to get across to the message. The message, my message is to people that if you're in this quagmire, you know, and you're in this kind of hole and, you know, you've got to get out of it, you've got to break free. I left home, I, I took the plunge at the age of 15, you know, well, that's quite a young age these days, isn't it, really, to just set your own sail. But I disappeared into the sunset, you know, and I was prepared to sweep streets and clean toilets, do whatever I had to do to put a roof over my head to survive. But most of all, to get normality around me, normal people, what I can... I knew they were there because I would go to my friends' houses and their parents and their family home was warm and, and receptive, you know. I knew that there was... What I was what I was experiencing was not normality. So I did that and broke free, and and that was a massive stepping stone for me. And because I did that, it opened my mind and my my whole freedom, of, uh, you know, for me to be free as a person. And I found music at the age of sixteen. By the time I was sixteen, which was quite late these days. I found music and a musical instrument, and and before you know it, in not too much time, you know, I'm I'm quite I'm quite in a good good place, you know. So so anyway, I wanted to tell that story, Eddie, and then I wanted to obviously share with all the fans and everyone some of, some of the fun stuff and and how we did this and how we did that and some of the mad things that, that you know that went on and, and some sensible things that went on uh, to make us a very, very successful band. And, and last but not least, let's call it chronologically third, is to answer a lot of questions that had been unanswered to a lot of the fans and people uh, in respect of my, my departure from the band and, and why I quit and, and why, in the end, I was actually, you know... Um, you know, quite broken, really. And um, so it had kind of gone full circle for me, but um, I'm still here and I'm still standing and I'm able to tell the story, Eddie, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to uh, to share with everyone, the, the good, bad and the ugly, the warts and all, the whole thing. It's not about anything specifically. Um, and as I finish in the book, and I will say now... And I want everyone to hear that what I had with my bandmates and what we created together and what we shared together, and, and which was a lot, it was a partnership, it was a relationship, and it was life. It was a life. Um, so I will always respect them, you know, the past, you know, the present and the future. Nothing can, no, nothing can overturn that. Um, and I hope it's reciprocated, um, because what we did was really something that was against all odds, as I said, quite magical, and and something that we should all be very, very grateful for. 
Well, I want to go through some of this stuff, if you have time chronologically in the book, because again, I did take some notes, and there's a lot of interesting things in this book, and you know I'm a lifelong fan of the band and yours as well, so I, I, I really encourage people to get the book and read it for themselves before, you know, because the people can re- easily take uh, headlines out of an interview and, and look at it and, and oh, the book is only going to be about that or about that, when there's so much more, your story as a young kid, how the band came together. All of that stuff is really fascinating. And really, for you, KK, in reading the book, I I was really... uh, All the stuff in your childhood I did not know about. And as you said, it's amazing that you endured and came through and what you were able to do. But I didn't real. I knew you were a Hendrix fan. I didn't realize to the level. And I I love the stories in here about you going to see Hendrix as a kid, and even to the point where you actually stole his pedal off the front of the stage, <laughs> that you were that enamored with, and you actually met him like you walked onto his bus or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> the Isle of Wight Festival. Well, I was, you, you know, um, yeah, that's what fans do. You know, um, <laughs> like I say, that's why, you know, um, if I can just say that, you know, in my whole life and my career, I'm, it's gratifying that I read and, and I hear a lot of fans saying that, you know, that, you know, um, for example, when, when, you know, things like, you know, KK was always the one that put that extra few minutes aside, you know, to speak and sign autographs. And, I, and I'm proud of that, you know, because I remember, I remember the, the lengths I went to, you know, as a fan, you know, just to, if I could say a few words, you know, to my, my heroes uh, and I'd get an autograph, it was just magical. It was just, you know, and I, I remember that and, 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 and it's good. So I'm speaking to fans as a fan, you know, um, as one. And, and I just want to explain an important thing because it does, it, does, it does hurt me sometimes when I, when I read comments about things. I, I want to explain the fact that, you know, uh, a lot of fans, are obviously people have switched on these days. If you read something out there, you know, a headline, if it's Blabbermouth or wherever it is, the vehicle that you go to, it's not me calling up and saying, saying that headline to those people. You know, uh, it's just those guys pick up on, let's say, an interview like, like we're talking now, Eddie. You know, somebody could pick up on that, you know, or you know, or a statement I might make uh, to to my fans on my website or on my Facebook. You know, people pick up on it and they twist a few words around to make it sound a bit juicy as a headline. And obviously that spins then off to what we call, let's say, the other side. They retaliate and you've got this kind of confrontation going on and that's what makes the media spin. So I'm sure everybody's pretty switched on to that, you know, it's not me and the guys just going at it, you know, but it's the way that it works, you know. I mean, you know that, Eddie, you know, you know oh, the yeah. way that it works. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, First hand. I, I, I wanted to explain that, though I've never said anything. I made one, um, one kind of statement to my, um, to my, um, to my uh, website and, um, and Facebook, and... Um, and I think it was Rob or one of the other guys picked up on it and kind of took it the wrong way. That's how all of this kind of started, really. But, you know, I'm I'm sure that, as I said before in my 
kind of opening speech. I, I'm sure that, you know, that un- unspoken bond and that respect is there. Whatever happens, you get a little bit of, you know, uh, this kind of retaliation thing. But I don't think that it's, um, it's um, you know, I certainly hope that it's not going to eternally burn bridges, you know, because we're, as I said before, we 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 fought a lot of battles together in a lot of trenches to get to where we got to. And I don't think that any self-respecting human being can ever, ever forget the camaraderie and, um, you know, of, of those days in the trenches together. Have you had any uh, re- reaction or response from anybody in Priest or the management since the book has been out? Uh, no, I can't, you know. Um, I can't, you know. I, I just... Um, Obviously, I just heard that Rob has just announced that he's going to do a book. So, you know, um, great. <laughs> well, you know, so, um, you know, I don't know what's uh, prompted that, but it's fine. You know, if every band member does a book, then I'm I'm sure that we'll follow in the, in the footsteps of people like Kiss. They always kind of do everything that each other does. Right, right. Um, well, well. While we're on the topic of all this, and, and then there's some specific stuff I want to get through to you in the book. You're you're standing now in in Judas Priest. Uh, obviously, you're not in the band. We know that you left the band, but are, are you still a partner in the band? Because one of the reasons why I asked that is I did notice that on the cover of the book you use the classic Judas Priest logo. So are you still? Um, are you still? Do you still maintain your uh, your interest in the band? Do you, do you still have your your part partnership in it yes I'm, i am actually a partner um together with uh, glenn rob and ian uh in uh judas priest uh music limited as a partner um you know um you know things have been hap- happening and you know because the thing is eddie you know um and rightfully so because you know, I spent my lifetime and career, you know, and, and some of that was even before the other guys, you know, um, building up what essentially is, is, is the brand name. Um, it's Judas Priest, and there's lots of business reasons, you know. There's still, obviously, revenue goes through companies, you know, um, you know and, um, and so it's only right that, you know, that that should stay intact. In, in is is what I really do feel, um, you know. If they, I'm I'm here. If any discussions need to, business discussions need to take place, but it doesn't happen, and it's a shame that it doesn't happen, and it should happen, and rightfully it should happen. So that's kind of ongoing as we speak, Eddie. That's you know, um, and I hope that we can reconcile that really and decide amongst ourselves you know, what will happen to Judas Priest and the name and, and and everything that surrounds it. Quite rightfully, I believe that um, that we should. Um, and also Scott should be considered along that. Scott's been in the band now for what must be 25 years, I, I would imagine. It's a long time anyway. You know, so, but I would like to, uh, and rightfully should be a part of all of that decision-making going forward. Um, and like I say, I haven't spoke to anyone at all about that, Eddie, until you just asked me that that that, that specific question. 
And what what do you think Judas Priest should do at this point? Obviously, it's it's very uh, and and again, I'm I'm going to talk. I want to talk to you about specific stories in the book and get some comments on it because I have notes here that are just great stories that we're going to touch on. But since we're in this space right now, what do you personally think Priest should do? Because there at the time just before at the time you left the band, there was talk of them retiring at that point. Now it's beyond sad what's happened to Glenn, and we we all wish him nothing but the best but but uh yeah. you know and now he largely is not playing in the band so now it's it's richie and andy and they've been talking about andy leaving and then having to replace him with somebody if they were to continue which it seems they want to do you know where where do you think the the line is kk what what would you like as somebody who is still as you just said a partner in this uh, even though you may not be active in the band anymore, what would you like to see happen with the band? Do you think it's time for them to end? Do you think that they can continue and should continue to replace members and move forward? Uh, would you like to return to the band in some capacity? I mean, what what would you like to say about all that? Well, I think there was an opportunity, you know, um, but time has gone on since then, you know, um, and time is not exactly on our side, and that, that's for myself as as well. You know, I mean, you know, we get to a certain age, and um, and anything could, you know, happen at any time. More likely than when, obviously, we were in a in a heyday. Um, you know, I think that I think that that um, it's hard to. It's hard to say exactly what I do think, Eddie, because maybe it's all gone past the point, you know, but I don't know. Uh, all I do know is the fact that Rob left the band for 14 years and I was very instrumental in reinstating Rob in, in, into... And that was hard for me as well because Rip was such a great friend and such a great guy, you know. Um, but I knew... You know, it was a case that, it, it, you know, I have this theory, can I, you know, I'd like to express it, the fact that, you know, I think it's true. There are exceptions that, you know, it's, it's every band pretty much has a voice of the band. You know, we think of the Stones, we think of Mick Jagger, you know, we think of Iron Maiden, we think of Bruce, you know, and, and, it, and it goes on, you know, that there is one voice that's synonymous with the band that people have, because people have been a part of the band, you know, and the band's been a part of those people's lives growing up, and and um, and Rob, you know, was, as even though he was away for so long, he was still considered to be the voice of Judas Priest, and, and that was what people wanted, and I was aware of that, and I'm sure... You know, Tim will acknowledge that as well because, you know, it was hard coming off stage, playing a great gig with Ripper and, and hearing fans saying, oh, okay, okay, you know, uh, when's Rob coming back? You know, so things run its course. Lots of bands have tried to make departures, you know, um, and that seemed to be the best thing really all around, if it was possible, was to, you know, have Rob back in the band. And I think that it was the right decision at the time you know and and i was sensible enough to see that you know um 14 years is a long time you know um so 
in music, we know it's commonplace. People leave, people come back. I mean, bands do all sorts of things, don't they? Just when you think, you know, something else happens. But um, I think that do bands make mistakes? Yes. Did, did Priest make mistakes when I was in the band? I would have to say yes. You know, since I left the band, yes. Um, but that's just my take on it, Eddie. You know, um, like I say, I left the band. I quit the band for the reasons, you know, that I've laid out in the book. So, so KK, if it's cool and you have the time, I'd love to run down some of the stories in the book that I found really interesting because I made some highlights. And there's so, some stuff on here I'd love to, to get some um some some comments from you about uh one of the things i was really amazed about was that you know a version of priest existed be that you would go see before that al atkins was in and you was the formation of judas priest actually happened because you had joined a band that he had already called judas priest is that correct it's correct yeah what what happened, I tell the story in the book, um, you know, um, Al Atkins um, was, was in a band called the Jug Blues Band. And unfortunately, the guitar player in that band actually, really tragically, at the age of 18, actually killed himself by driving the, the band's bus, uh, tr- um, the band's van, to like a telephone kiosk. So it was very sad and very tragic. And um, and so they never reformed that band because of that. So, you know, Al Atkins decided to put a new band together, him and the bass player, Bruno, and uh, and call it Judas Priest. And that was the uh, the band that I auditioned for, but didn't get the gig originally, you know, because they wanted somebody that was more blues-orientated, where I was kind of a bit kind of, well, people know my style of guitar playing. And um, and they did actually put that Judas Priest band together, and it was together for about a year. They they acquired a guitar player who's now passed away called Ernie Chatterway, and he was in the band for just under a year, I think. And then they disbanded all together, and that's when Al Atkins came to the rehearsal rooms and heard myself and Ian and our drummer at the time, John Ellis. Uh, we were just jamming away, jamming away, and and I was. You know, pretty impressed with us by then. I was obviously improved a year later, and and I asked if he could join the band, and we went to the pub to celebrate the new band. And um, obviously, it was always in my mind what what I wanted to call the band, um, and that was Judas Priest. And so I kind of talked Alan to retain that name, uh, and that was Judas Priest, and we. Did a lot of gigs and had a lot of fun and it was good, you know, um, until further changes took place further down the road. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because you say, you know, in the book, you, you you start to form Judas Priest, and then you're like, well, what are we going to come up with the name? And like, well, the the band that Al, who was the original singer, was in, in the name he was using, Judas Priest, is a pretty good name. Can we just keep using that? And and that's how the yeah, name Priest yeah. came about, which is is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Hey, KK, if if you don't mind, we we, we want to try to. I'd like to try to get you back on the landline because we're, we have a we had a, mu- a much better connection before. So if it's okay with you can we can we hang up and then and get you back on the other no, on the other line so we can hear you better absolutely no problem right here okay 
Okay, so we'll hang up and then we'll, we'll get you back on the landline. So let's drop KK right now. Let's get a quick break in here real quick because that, that was hard to hear him. It was way better before. So let's do another quick break. This way we'll have a lot of clear time with KK. And then let's get him back uh, on the landline so we can hear him more clearly. We'll come right back with a better – again, we're dealing with international calling here. But a quick break, we'll come back and we'll get KK on the landline and we should have him back clear again and get into some of these great stories from his book. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. By downloading Pluto TV. That's all you got to do. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. No credit card needed. No sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. So the band is formed with you and Ian and, and Al Atkins, and, that, and Al had already had a band called Judas Priest, so that's how things come in. And then just moving the story along a little bit, what I found fascinating and stunning from this book is that you guys never received a penny from your first two albums in terms of uh, royalties for, for Sad Wings or Rockarola. To this day, I mean, you've never saw a penny from those albums? Correct. I mean, and that's because you basically you were offered the deal with CBS, and you basically bailed on the contract, and you just figured you just like the idea was just like let's just write it off and move forward. Yeah, we were kind of forced into doing that. You know, I mean, we were young kids, really. We were, you know, but we just felt that we were being inhibited. You know, we, it was just so restrictive. Uh, we were pushed into actually working, you know, part-time jobs and stuff, you know, building sites and doing all sorts of things. Um, um, When really we were quite a busy band, you know, it was affecting our ability to obviously to write and to to gig, really. 
So we asked, we walked into the record company, Gold Records, and asked them if we could have, if they could subsidise us so that we could, we could live. And I think it was a, it was a long time ago, but I think we asked for twenty five pounds each a week, so that we could, you know. Um, and they said no, and so we thought, well, there must be a record company out there that would probably go for that, you know, because we 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 got. Um, not just rock and roll, but we got Sad Wings that was out there, you know, that we thought was doing not too bad, to be fair. And um, and so we thought we were worth it, you know. Um, and we thought it was value for the record company to know that we were really honing our skills and improving and, and getting on writing material and, and doing gigs and doing everything that we should should have been doing. And, of course, so we stepped straight into... What was then, I guess it was CBS or CBS Sony, and um, and our lives just changed pretty much overnight. But we did have to forego any any earnings from those uh, those first two records in order for us to do that to make that move. That's amazing. And the other thing, too, you know, so much has been made over the decades of Judas Priest's image and the fact that the image was really became metal, like you guys set the bar and created what's known as a a very metal image. What I found interesting is that uh, you you really were the one who steered that when you look through your book. And again, for people who are uh, or just joining us, K.K. Downing's book is called Heavy Duty Days and Nights and Judas Priest. But when you look through the book, there's a, a photo in here. You see the early evolution of the of the uh, the image. You see what you guys were wearing early on. But then there's a photo in here from 1977 that you write, Judas Priest in 77 stage clothes. Note how the image hasn't quite come together. Uh, that would be an understatement. It looks like Rob is in some sort of like marching band outfit or something. <laughs> it's just... It's just yeah. nothing like what you would think. So, so tell everybody about the evolution of that and how it was actually you who who thought of the idea of having a unified image. Yeah, it was just something, you know, that was kind of, you know, I, I tell the story in the book really how I was heavily influenced as, as you know, at a young age with a certain style of music that wasn't actually out there, but I heard bits here and there it might have been a bit of steppenwolf it was certainly some of the, some of the hendrix stuff you know like the kinks you really got me 1965 or something that left uh the barry Maguire that song eva destruction that left a mark you know and so i was always looking for this music that was how can i say it kind of like that nobody really liked or wanted it was ugly and and people that looked you know, kind of like like very early Rolling Stones. Look, they were kind of appealing because they looked kind of you know rugged. You know, so it was anything that went against you know my, uh, the grain with my parents or you know um, you know teachers and, and and other influences around at the time. So, but that kind of stuck with me, and um, and so that's always what I was trying to you know, trying to get together, really. So we had a, they had a great name for a band, you know, and, um, and we had some great music, but somehow we didn't look like the music sounded or the band sounded name-wise, and it was, like, plaguing me, I guess, inside. And then, then sometime for me in around about 76, I think it kind of 
came together for me. I started to wear black, black, black. And then I'm thinking, well, I want people to see me from, like, if the, you know, from from further back at the shows, you know. And, and I'm thinking the studs. So I experimented. And, and it just all came together. And I was thinking, and that's what I started to wear, you know, with a, with a studded choker, you know, more and more studs, leather. And uh, I was just hoping that the rest of the band would um, would would kind of literally follow suit, and and it did happen little little by little, and and that was it really. By the time that British Steel was born, I was the happiest person around because you know um, that we were in you know a, a sort of uniform in a way, which which gave the band strange enough. M- more, more, more power, more strength, you know, um, and and we had the British Steel, the album cover, everything came together, and and, and the rest is history, Eddie. You know, you the live album Unleashed in the East. You talk about that record in the book, and that record has been the subject of a lot of speculation from fans and journalists because. Over the years, we've found out that there's so many live records from the 70s that are live, uh, billed as live records, but in reality were studio creations. Uh, that that has come out on so many of the classic live records over the, the decades. And that was always a, a heavy point of speculation about Unleashed in the East, that people would even joke and say it should have been called Unleashed in the Studio and that it was really not a live record. You clear the air on that. You maintain, if I remember correctly, that the album is a essentially live except for some of the vocals which had to be redone is that correct it's absolutely correct yeah rob you know i will say this to rob and i hope he's listening on but he knows it anyway rob is an, an incredibly strong physically strong vocalist you know and i mean that with his vocal cords because how many shows did judas priest ever pull in their career due to rob's um, vocals being a problem, you know, with his uh, sore throats or whatever it might be. And, you know, I can't think of any. I really can't think of any. But that Japan, that Japan tour, when Rob got to Japan, his throat was absolutely, well, you know, it, it was, it was, he it, it had a problem, you know, and um, to the point where he really probably shouldn't have gone out there, but Rob did go out there and absolutely amazed all of us that he actually got through the shows. He actually physically sung those shows, but obviously um, his vocals, some of the vocals were obviously lacking, you know, that we couldn't actually put them on, on the, uh, you know, leave them on the record as they were because Rob's voice, you know, was literally cracking up in places. So, so Rob had to redo those, otherwise we wouldn't have had a live album. Otherwise, the reason we wanted to go with that, because it sounded great, you know, because everything else that we did, you know, we were happy, we were a well-oiled machine, you know, we were, we, 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 could, we, we could play those songs, you know, pretty much in our sleep. And so um, all of the instrumentals, you know, were, were um, you know, I, I would say like... As, 96, 97% as good as they could be, really, close to perfection. 
but but you know we had to do some redo some of some of Rob's vocals, not all of them, you know, um, and that's what we did. But you know we're immensely proud of that record and uh, and love it, um, really love it. And Japan's a great place to record because all of the technology was there; it was made easy for us. So we didn't want to let that one go and and wait a long time to release a live record. We really wanted to do it there and then. Here's the other thing that I thought, and I, I really, really was always very curious about with me, uh, with Priest and, and Maiden, and you shed light on this in this book, finally. And I found it endlessly fascinating because you and I both know that for decades now, many people... Uh, immediately when they say priest, the next word is maiden, or if they say maiden, usually the next word is priest. And uh, I remember the very first time I saw priest, maiden was the opening act. You guys were on the point of entry tour. Maiden were on the Killers tour. It was in New Jersey. I remember it clearly. And I didn't know that you had had some history even earlier than that uh, touring with with taking Maiden out as a support act in their earlier years. But I had always sensed over the years, you know, when you guys had been on my radio shows or TV or whatever I had done with you guys, whenever people would bring up Maiden and the prospect of, of what a lot of metal fans feel would be like one of the all-time great tours, Maiden Priest together, that it was, you know, it always felt like it was kind of like yeah, that ain't ever going to happen you know like some sort of tension there and you shed some light on that which it really stems from how you felt they treated you guys when they were your opening act if you can and again we're you know everybody should buy the book to get all the details but but give everybody the the, the overview of of why that sort of tension existed and and where it originated from between the the priest and maiden and well, you make the point you make the very valid point that you know, let's also be honest, Maiden has gone on to become, to this day, they're a stadium act. They're a massive global act. And some of the things you, you were kind of upset, you say in the book, you were upset about their management and the way they handled things that you felt that if Priest had, maybe you would have become that big. It's, it was a fascinating moment in the book. So what, what can you say about uh, all that stuff? Yeah, well, it all started... We just finished the British Steel record, and you know, um, in England, and um, and I think I, you know, um, we were going out on tour, um, and and then the next thing I know, I read in a, a music paper that um, some, something like you know, uh, Iron Maiden, yeah, we're going to blow the bollocks off Priest or something like that. And I went, what the hell is this shit? No, I'm still there. We've, we're just about, we're still in the recording studio, you know, um, tidying up the, the last mixes or something. I said, well, who are these guys? You know, why do we want, you know, why should we have those on too if they're going to, you know, create this type of vibe before we've even met them, you know, let alone done a show together. I said, let's get rid of them and get somebody that really appreciates the gig. <laughs> You know, um, of which there would have been an awful lot of bands. But anyway, everybody taught me into going with it, you know. And I said, well, fine, you know, obviously being democratic, you know. And uh, and next thing I know, we were at the rehearsals, um, some theatre in London somewhere, and this bunch of guys walked in and just sat down in, in front of me. 
And I said to my guitar tech, who's, who are those dudes there? <laughs> and he went, oh, that's a support band. I said, well, who the hell invited them into our rehearsal? You know, have, thinking about what I read in the papers, you know. I'm saying, you know. And, um, and I said, well, just go and tell them that uh, they weren't invited. They need to leave. You know, I didn't see an invite. Nobody told me they were com- coming in, you know. Um, you know, where you're trying to work out songs and this and that and the other. Um, so that's what happened. But anyway, we went on tour. And, and can I just say, they didn't blow the bollocks off Judas Priest. It was, it was you know, I mean, we were, you know, we were pretty well established at, at the time. And, and those guys were coming up through the ranks. Um, so that happened. But it wasn't a good atmosphere on the tour, and it's not something I like to have happen. You know, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and ne- next thing I know, somebody says, oh, Iron Maiden's opening up for you in uh, their first U.S. tour. I went, oh, no, not again. Can we just not have those guys on, on the, uh, you know? And But anyway, I was kind of, you know, they came on the tour and uh, and they created upsets is what they did, you know, um, for different reasons. And uh, and it led to a confrontation and it got a bit ugly, you know. Um, I don't know how it all happened, but, you know, I did meet Paul Diano some years later in about 1985 and he did, uh, he said, okay, okay, well, I'm sorry about that quote in the paper. And that's all you need, you know. And um, but anyway, like I say, it's all water, on, water under the bridge. Those guys were young, coming up through the ranks, you know, a bit delinquent. But at least they they had uh, they had balls. They got on with it. They knew what they wanted to do, and they've gone on um, to be a, obviously a fantastic, well-established band. Um, as you say, a m- massive band. I'm immensely proud that they're. Um, they're British, and um, and it's hard to imagine, you know, a metal world without Iron Maiden because they have certainly flown the flag um, for UK metal, you know, um, alongside of us for many years. And so it's all come out good in the end. And, and like I say, I've, I've seen the guys, met the guys years later, and, um, and we just put it down to um, enthusiasm. <laughs> I think I think is is what um, what was suggested to me. You know, put it all down to uh, a little bit of o- over exuberant enthusiasm, and and I could certainly accept that. The other, the a couple other things here uh, before I let you go, KK. Because again, the book is there's so many fascinating stories in it. Uh, the folks, the book is out now. It's called Heavy Duty Days and Nights and Judas Priest by my guest KK Downing, who of course is a founding member of the band and former guitarist in the band. I, I, there was a period of time where Judas Priest worked with the pop songwriters Stock Aitken and Waterman, uh, w- w- and I wrote here in my notes stylistics. Did, w- <laughs> tell us about that. You actually recorded. You actually recorded some stuff that has never surfaced with these legendary pop songwriters. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I think it was the fact that, you know, again, it was just, I think our, our manager, you know, um, was um, was very well, obviously very well connected. I mean, he's been a long, Bill uh, Kirbyshley's been a long-term manager of The Who and, and Plant and Page and lots of other artists. And he just was doing 
you know, what, making introductions, and uh, it was suggested, you know, that we might just want to um, see how it might work out. You know, it would have, it was an interesting exercise. We enjoyed it. We flew over to Paris for a few days, played a lot of table tennis with uh, Stock and Aitken. Great guys, really professional outfit. Those guys are fantastic. The songs sounded great, but we just decided that, no, it's not really what... Uh, what we should do, so we decided just not to, to just to pass on the release and not to use utilize the recordings and uh, and I think um, you know um, as much as it might have gone down well with a lot of people, I think a lot you know it wasn't the right thing for priests to do. So we just passed on it and that, and that was the story. But it was a great experience and um, you know as I said before, you know those guys are extremely extremely talented. And, um, you know, uh, I don't actually physically have a copy of, 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 of those tracks, but I know they're around somewhere. Um, I'd be interested to listen to them myself again at some point in, <laughs> you know, in the near future. It would be uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> and you also mentioned in the book that Judas Priest was offered to do a song on the Top Gun soundtrack, but, but passed... And uh, and I found that interesting as well. You talk about how that might have not have been uh, the smartest decision given the success of that film. Yeah, um, but it was just uh, an opportunity. We were mixing the Turbo album, and um, again, it was it was it was our manager Bill and our record company doing good work making the introductions, and we had an opportunity. And I think Glenn and Jane went down to see the producers. We were finishing off the mixers. I didn't go uh, the mixing for for the for the album, and they wanted the song "Reckless." But um, you know, uh, it's quite right that we had kind of already compiled the, the record by then, and uh, and obviously we didn't know Tom Cruise, you know, and, and we we didn't know who he was, or, you know, didn't know anything about the movie. Uh, we were really, our interest was in our record, really. So I think Glenn left a, a few tracks, um, unused tracks with the guys to, to see if they were, might be interested to, to utilize one of those. But they passed on those tracks and, and went ahead without the song. But uh, And then it became a blockbuster, of course, you know. Um, so it was just a, an opportunity missed because I think the song would have been very, very good in that place. The song Reckless, you know, with uh, with our hero there flying, flying that jet. Uh, would right. have been good, but not to be. So, uh, but we did get a song on Bride of Chucky, which was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not quite quite the success of Top Gun, but still pretty cool, absolutely. Yeah, still a bit more, <laughs> maybe more appropriate. In maybe a little more metal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, killer puppet. Yep, absolutely. Hey, and the and the other something else I found really interesting in this book is you know, I always looked at you and Glenn as one of the great guitar duos in certainly in metal history and and in rock history for for that matter as well. And you know, as a fan all the decades seeing the band and everything, I always saw the two of you guys as just this, you know, this this you know, I mean, such a huge part of what made Judas Priest so incredible. Um, I, I had no idea that for a long time that, you know, you and you reveal in this book that you and Glenn 
really were never all that close, that you had a lot of differences. And later on in your time in Judas Priest, you had issues with him and you felt, you know, his drinking started to become a problem and interfering with the, uh, the quality of the live shows. So, Talk a little bit about that if you can, because to me, that was one of the biggest takeaways from this book. Yes, as you said in your initial statement when you left uh, the band, you had issues with management as well. But you, but you, you, you know, Glenn kind of circles around all of that uh, in this book, and the and the fact that you feel like maybe you let go of the rope a little bit and let him have uh, too much say in everything and 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 run with it when you felt he was starting to get a little bit sloppy in the way he was performing live. So if you can, uh, take the audience through that a little bit. Well, you know, it's, it was what it was. I think that obviously um, Jane from the management came on board in sometime in the mid-'80s and... Um, and seemed to, you know, I think that uh, Jane and Glenn seemed to, I don't know, kind of hit it off in a way. And um, from that point on, I think, you know, it, it seemed as though, you know, I mean, Jane was very good and very efficient and fastidious at what she did, but um, there seemed to be an extracurricular kind of relationship. I don't know, something just happened where I felt, we felt it, that, that there was kind of Glenn and Jane and the rest of us, you know, that's kind of, but you know, on top of that, myself and Glenn. I mean, we worked together. We spent probably, I'm sure, we spent more time together than we did ever with our families, you know, wives or girlfriends or anything. You know, we had a very, very intense relationship. Myself, then we had to be together a lot of times, but you know, but and we had a lot of things in common. You know, and and. Um, uh, we were both Scorpios, and we both felt that we were very capable guys of doing things, you know, whatever. Physically, you know, like, I don't know, gardening, fishing, whatever, doing things that guys do, you know. Um, but, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time together. But we were probably like, a, you, know, an old, you know, a seasoned married couple. We kind of ambled along and made it made it work I think really you know but um, a few things along the way I think um, I kind of regret kind of letting Glenn probably have you know the uh, majority of um, of solos in songs that would always kind of be in a set and things like that you know and um, uh, and that sort of thing you know and um and, and as time went on, I think Glenn was, you know, more self-indulgent with his solos. We, we'd share the solos out on the record. I might have ten, he might have ten, but his ten was like ten times longer than my ten and things like that, you know. But um, I always pride in myself on my ability to play, you know, um, any type of solo, whether it's, I mean, a lot of people probably don't know that it's me on Before the, Do- Before the Dawn, for example, the solo. You know, I can play melodic, I can play, I like pride myself, I can play anything. And I can improvise solos, you know, all night long on the stage there. And I'm, I'm proud to be able to do that, you know, as a musician. But So I think a few things got away uh, from me, you know, and um, at the end of the day, I did feel as though I was kind of, um, I felt like I was working for someone or something, you know, that's how kind of, I think that we kind of felt it wasn't 
totally destructive, but, you know, it was kind of, um, um, you know, the way that I liked things done, really, especially live performances. You have to enjoy playing live, you know, and more than anything else, especially as we got older and, and all of the partying and, and all of the antics, everything kind of subsided. So it all got very serious, really. So it was just something that... Um, you know, an amount of things. It was kind of like, uh, compared to the Titanic, maybe nobody's fault, maybe a bit of everybody's fault, but, you know, the ship went down in the end, you know, um, and and I I was the one to uh, to bail out, basically saying that right, you know, uh, with the F word, if that's the way it is, you know, you have it, it's yours, you know. Um, I'm kind of... Uh, I'm done with it, you know, and um, whether it was a rash decision or not, something that I would live to regret, you know, I, I, I haven't done as 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 yet, but, um, you know, and, but I thought there was an opportunity when Glenn was no longer going to participate, you know, I thought the rest of the guys would go, well, you know, we, we know what the main problem was for KK, and that's why I said... I was shocked and stunned that they didn't ask me that because without Glenn there, it would have been an easier, you know, I would have felt not like the way I did feel when I was in the band. But also, I was shocked and stunned because they didn't give consideration to what the the fans and, and everyone might have wanted. You know, I would like to have thought that they would have, you know, thought that I would be the person to be, you know, to be back in the band would be the better option. So I was shocked and stunned that they had just, um, you know, elected to bring Andy in. And as I said before, and I, was, I only have good things to say about Andy, his ability as a producer, a guitar player, and as a, as a metal god himself. You know, I've only got, I consider him to be a, a friend, you know. And um, so I just, again, had to... Um, I expressed my disappointment, and um, but just go away quietly and just let let the guys just get on with what they're doing, you know. Right. So for those those that say that, well, KK left the band, so why would he even care about coming back? It was his decision to leave. Your your position is one of the reasons why you left the band is because of your issues with Glenn and with Glenn not being able to be full time active in the band, then they they should have known that then that would have opened up an opportunity for you to want to come back and sort of re re embrace things a little bit. And also, of Correct. course, you would have you would have then brought back at least, you know, at least half of the duo that made all those songs would have still been intact with the band. So, so that that was your that was your position on that is that they they knew that with, without Glenn that that was one of the reasons why you left, and now that would have cleared the way for you to be able to at least contribute again. Yeah, I would like. I think that with if the if the the guys would have been able, and I don't think they had a choice either. I don't think they had a say in it. Um, is what I think, but. You know, I didn't realise that at the time. Um, I think that, you know, but on top of the guys thinking that that would have been the better option, I would like to have had Glenn's blessing also, uh, you know, taking into consideration, you know, um, what had happened to me. But also uh, the fans, which you have to consider, are also, 
you know, have a standing and can also be considered to be a band member that has a voice that should be listened to also. Yeah, absolutely. And one last thing, KK, you, uh, the Nostradamus album from Priest is a record that was kind of polarizing to fans. Some loved it. Some thought it was, you know, not for them. Uh, Commercially, it wasn't an overly successful record. But you talk about that record quite a bit in the book, and you stand behind it, and you really love it. And uh, it seems like, you know, it's a regret of yours that that what the plan was, which was to do it start to finish, was never fully realized. So so you, you were a fan of that, and you did endorse that move making that record, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Because... You know, it was something different for Priest, and we've often we've done things that have been different. You know, we were kind of, you know, um, that type of band. But to do something that was as gratifying, really, as a musician, as as that concept album, where we could actually, you know, uh, put our minds together, not just as like metal guys, you know, with riffs and you know, and and do that, you know, to create something musically that was kind of musically mature and, and somewhat, can I say, a little bit sophisticated? Am I allowed to say that in a certain musical way? You know, um, it was just maybe a dream, a pipe dream that, you know, that it would be respected as a musical work, not just with all metal fans and rock fans around the world, but with all music fans, you know. Um, maybe it was kind of um, a dream, but it was fantastic to showcase Rob's vocals on that album. I mean, just things on that, on, that, on, that, on, on that album that people would probably think that Rob was never capable of doing. But Rob, let's face it, he, he could be an opera singer if he wanted to. If he'd have worked at that, you know... In his career, he could have done that. It clearly, you know, it's it's exhibited on that record. And what myself and Glenn do, and I will say that myself and Glenn had a very good working relationship on that record. It came to it came together very, really quite easily, where we were able to use not just keyboards but the guitar to produce all of these orchestral sounds to write and record was something refreshing for us as, as as musicians and individuals. And do I see in 10, 20, 50, 100 years' time from now, Nostradamus by Judas Priest being out there, you know, at some point? You know, I think it probably will, and I hope it will be. And I hope, you know, I think it um, has credentials and shouldn't be something that just disappears after we're long gone. You know, and I think hopefully it will come back and be respect, respected, appreciated, and enjoyed by by the fans. You know. Well, KK, I appreciate all the time, man. There's so much more I could talk to you about. I really enjoyed the book. Again, it's called Heavy Duty Days and Nights in Judas Priest by KK Downing with Mark Eglinton. Um, the last thing for for me with you at the moment is what's what's next for you personally? Are, are you interested in playing music again? Would you consider doing another band? Would you uh, do do you want to do you want to be active again in recording and touring? I know recently uh, some friends of mine did a uh, put together a version of um, I think Beyond the Realms that you and Ripper uh, played on. 
with Les Binks not too long ago. Uh, I mean, would you like to do things like that? Would you like to maybe put something together with maybe even some ex-members? I mean, have you thought about something like that? What What's in your mind now yeah. at this point in your I, life? I, I think the thing is, Eddie, the, the fact is when I was in Priest, I was dedicated to Judas Priest. I never set my stall out with anything else other than Judas Priest, and that was it, you know. I mean, I never considered doing solo albums or having my own website or selling my own merchandise and all of that sort of stuff. You know, I know Robin and Glenn went into that territory, but, you know, it was something I was just totally dedicated to Priest. And even though I have plenty of opportunities, I just not... It's kind of late in the day for me to want to to start over again, Eddie, you know, and I'm not, you know, not just for fun or for anything, you know, and I'm always kind of considering, you know, um, and I, I think that I should be, you know, I am a partner in Judas Priest, and I think I should be given a voice as to what should happen, and because I'm always kind of considering, you know, what the fans really want first and foremost. I know people are going to say, oh, but yeah, but you quit the band, but... But guys, I was—I felt as though I was a broken man at that point, you know. And I was, and I was, and and, and I can't even put into words, you know. I mean, other than say that, you know, I didn't realise that everybody. I thought I was a very, very strong, strong, solid person. But everybody has a has a breaking point, and I know that, you know. And and that's what happened to me. And so I'm out, and I, but graciously I've let the guys do exactly what they've wanted to do, you know, when they've wanted to do it with who they've wanted to do it with. Um, but really, you asked me early on what would I like to see happen. I would like to see those guys talk to me, and 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 collectively everybody involved, Richie Scott, everybody, Andy, everybody, say you know what really is the way forward and if the band's on tour now and i'm really you know i'm sure the show's great and everything and if that's what they want to do forevermore well fine you know i'll always i'll respect that decision as well but rob's talking about doing some kind of 50th anniversary um and i don't know but the big consideration as you say without glenn there as well it's difficult for me even to accept you know even when all said and done, for me to accept a priest that isn't the priest that I've been a part of all my life, that's that's tough for me too. But maybe I could suggest that Rob wants to do a 50th anniversary. I mean, but that goes back to 1969. I was in the band. Ian was in the band then. Uh, Rob and Glenn came on in the 70s. Um, but certainly, I don't know, would it be an idea for everybody that ever played a part in Judas Priest to go out there on tour and be a part of that tour? Is that that was something that I would think of that probably nobody else ever would think of to include Ripper, Les Binks, and certainly Glenn. I, that would be a part of it as well for whatever it can do, you know, and um, maybe it's just an idea for food for thought. Who knows, Eddie? I don't know. Uh, I know the guys have got plenty of shows booked, so... Um, I don't know what uh, Rob's thinking of. Uh, maybe he'll be concentrating on his, doing his book that he talks about next. Who knows? Well, if, if there was some sort of celebration, I mean, I think that would be a fitting way to celebrate where you bring all the, the guys that had played a, a role 
obviously yourself included into that and, and do a real big celebration if that is indeed something they wanted to do. KK, I can't thank you enough for the time. I really appreciate uh, appreciate talking to you, and uh, it, it's great to catch up a little bit. Again, everybody check out KK's book, Heavy Duty, Days and Nights in Judas Priest. It is out now. If you come to the States, please drop me a line. I'd love to see you and keep me posted on what you're doing and uh, and everything you have going on, KK. It's always great to talk to you. Eddie, massive respect as always. You know, all the listeners out there, they know how important you are and um, and your opinions and um, about this this wonderful genre of music that we swim in and out of all the time. But we're, you know, it's it's been a blessing that um, it's brought us all together. And I thank you and thank all of the fans and all of the listeners and. Um, Keep up the good work, everyone, and until I see you next time, and I certainly will drop in, Eddie, that's for sure. And um, I say a big hi to all the fans. If you get a chance to grab the book, I would like you to get to know me a little bit better. But if not, I'll see you around sometime in the future, you guys. Thank you oh, and much. KK, I almost forgot to tell you. Thank you for the mention in the book. I, I can't. I almost forgot. I can't thank you enough for that. I was blown <laughs> away. Towards the end of the book, KK says there were only like two people in the U.S. that truly stood behind the band and played Judas Priest consistently, and you mentioned me by name. That was like a tremendous honor. I appreciate that. I almost forgot well, to mention that. Well-deserved, of course, Eddie. Are we, absolutely, you know, I mean... Nobody can write a book about this genre of music without having you in there somewhere, that's for sure. Well, it meant a lot to me, so thank you so much. Have a good night, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, Eddie. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Well, my thanks to K.K. Downing. Enjoyed that conversation. I was blown away when I was reading the book, and K.K. goes into this thing about how Judas Priest never really got any consistent radio support from anyone in America except for, I believe he mentions a DJ in Texas and me by name, and that blew me away. A very, I had no idea that was coming, and very, very cool and appreciative. So thank you, KK, for that. I mentioned that at the very end of the interview there. Uh, that, that really took me by surprise when I was reading through that story and saw my name come up in the book. Very kind of KK to acknowledge that. And uh, check out the book. It's out there now. Make up your own assessments on what went on. And my thanks to Ken for giving a call from England. And hopefully he comes over to the U.S. at some point. We can do something more with him in the studio. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Remember, connect with me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk. Instagram, Facebook as well at Eddie Trunk, and eddytrunk.com is the official online home. Music news updated daily, merch store with all sorts of cool shirts and stuff, and you can get signed copies of either of my books. By the way, quick thing on my books, I just got my statement from my publisher. I got to thank you guys who have over the years purchased either of my two books, Eddie Trunk's Essential Hard Rock and Heavy Metal, Volume 1 of, I am blown away by this, Volume 1 of my first book, has now sold over 35,000 copies. And that is not counting digital. That is physical sales. Another four, almost 5,000 in digital. So almost 40,000 copies of my first book have been sold. That is stunning, and I am unbelievably grateful to you guys who have purchased it. I mean, it came out a number of years ago, but I get statements every six months. And uh, the second book, Volume 2, 
sitting at around 17,000, much lesser known bands in that book, and also out for a lot less of a period of time. But still, I mean, a lot of people would kill for those numbers. So I can't thank you enough when I see that to know the uh, support for, for what I do is just incredible. So thank you guys for that. Wanted to mention it. Now, by the way, with that statement, there were no checks. <laughs> I didn't see any money. But it's nice to know everybody is uh, so many people have bought my book and it's on so many shelves over all these years. That is awesome. All right. So I'll see you guys again next Thursday for another all new episode of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Look for me this weekend, Tulsa on Friday at the IDL Ballroom with Sebastian Bach, Saturday, Huntington Beach, California with Sammy Hagar. Listen to me on the radio each and every day. And again, connect with me on social media. Have a great week, everybody. And thanks for listening. Lakers are officially here on the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join Emmy Award-winning sports reporter Susie Schuster and co-host Aaron Larsoul as they discuss the Lakers news of the day and break down the upcoming season with some of the biggest guests around, including Shaq, Magic, and the new king of L.A., LeBron James. Check out the official Lakers podcast every week on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.